0: Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you. We thank you, Lord, so much for your great love and the grace which you shower upon us every day through Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us. We thank you for your great sacrifice on our behalf, coming into this world, living that perfect life, dying as our substitute, and rising again, victorious over the grave, sin and the devil. We praise you and we thank you, Heavenly Father, that uh, because of your Tender the mercies. Uh, We are indeed part of this great redemption uh, that you have uh, planned for us. And we thank you for your spirit that abides within us, that leads and guides, that uh, convicts and uh, counsels. And we pray, Lord, your spirit would help us tonight as we once again look into your word. We ask, Lord, that you would give a blessing to us all. We pray pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we finished up last week, uh, I did, and I left you with uh, three questions to ponder. All right, um, uh, question number one was, uh, what do you understand by the providence of God? Question two was, what are the implications of God's sovereignty for you? What does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? So, anybody want to comment on question number one? What do you understand by the providence of God? Hmm. If that seems too intimidating. All right. Uh, I'm going to... Yes.
1: I know it's probably not along what you think, but um, I think that that God is in control Mm. he's in control of everything but I'm not sure he orders every single thing that happens to us or that we do Um, because um, I don't think he um, orders our our sin I think he knows we're going to sin and he can work work through it with, with us so I have a bit of a problem with that kind of sovereignty does that make it clear to you or not
0: uh, yeah, right.
2: cool.
1: So that implication for me is that um, God has an overall plan for me, and he will make sure that his plan for me is executed and worked out. But how it gets there is going to be, you know, with the decisions I make and how he has to work with me and work things out with me in order to get me where he wants me to be.
0: Okay. Anybody else?
3: I, for me, I think that God's providence is that God has closed the end from the beginning. He has a far side. And so when things happen to me, am I might not, am not, I not understand, understand what it is. Am I might not actually understand what where am I
0: echoing? I don't know. I
4: How you guys hear me? I can hear you. I hear echo too. Something is
5: wrong. Somebody has two connections. They,
6: they
2: have two different connections. Yeah, I them. think so. Let me mute.
6: I'm going to mute a few people just to walk
4: it out okay
3: okay so right. for, okay so for me providence is that god knows the end from the beginning and whatever things that happen i may mean, not know the answers to it but i know that god knows it that is what you know providence that he's that he's the creator he knows everything so i don't know if he's so many presents so many science so many potent. Like he knows, you know, everything.
0: Yes, okay. I want to read you the, uh, the answer from the, the Heidelberg Catechism. It was a, comes from the Reformation, uh, it's Protestant Catechism of 1563. All right. And, uh, this happens to be question 27 if you're keeping score. Okay. What do you understand by the providence of God? The Almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them, that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's their definition of the catechism of uh, understanding what the providence of God is. How about the third question? We'll come back to the second one. But third one, what does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? What benefit is it?
5: Hello? Hello? Yeah. I have a sort of a very peculiar mechanical way of looking at how God works. If we have a hundred pennies in a box and we shake them, every time we shake those pennies, there's always going to be 50% of our heads, 50% of our tails. We can shake it from now to doomsday. But the individual penny, it could be head or tails. We can be good or bad, saved or unsaved. And that... That may be a different providence than the chances I'm talking about. So I don't know if that illustrates anything intelligent. <laughs> um, all
6: right. Well, well, you know, if if God is in, God, basically is in control of of uh, the universe, and He upholds the universe, His purposes cannot be frustrated. So they will happen. And one of His purposes is to bring His His people.
5: To him
6: uh, in glory, and that gives you a sense of of uh, surety and a sense of assurance that should just make you joyful that God is in control, that God is caring for you, no matter what the circumstances. Uh, they are all somehow meshed into His ultimate purpose, and therefore should all should bring Him all the glory. So he is in control. We're not in control. We don't have to um, uh, be concerned about a lot of different things because God will ultimately have his purposes fulfilled.
0: Yes, uh, amen. Thanks, Pete. Here's how the catechism answers that third question, pretty much like Pete just answered it. That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for what is future, have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. So that's that's what the, we profit from, understanding God's providence. And then finally, what are the implications of God's sovereignty for you? He just, um, again, mentioned... Uh, a great deal of it. I wonder if anybody else has anything to add to it.
7: I think for all the questions, I, all three of them, I just feel that it takes a lot of pressure off us. Off us. Um, you know, when I think of providence, I think of provision. You know, I, think, I don't know if the word provide is there, that God provides us with His care and His protection. Sovereignty that he is, you know, just in charge and control of all things. It just takes the pressure off of us to know that we have this God who's just so, uh, beyond our ways and our thoughts. And, um, you know, just like, you know, he, we can just let him do it. You know, just, it, it, you know, we just can do our little part and it's fine and he, he 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 can do so much more and, and and uh and that's supernatural that we can't do and as i said it just uh alleviates us of a lot of uh stress and pressure to have to do what only he can do
0: amen yes it does absolutely
3: i think for for me i was going to add that i think god's sovereignty has to do with um his um We should reverence him. We should, um, yes, God created everything, but we shouldn't take it for granted. You know, we have to, you know, reverence or pull that authority that in as much he's a loving God, you know, but then, you know, we be his, he also judges us. So we should not like, you know, take for granted that, oh, God knows everything and just live a careless life or just do, like, you know, things like reg- just live normally as opposed to having the fear of God or reverence of him or just, you know, being awe of him, especially in his presence. So
0: Yeah, reverence uh, is a very important part of uh, giving uh, proper worship to our sovereign. So, absolutely. For sure, you know,
6: it's if God is for us, who can be against us? I think that's the ultimate, you know, uh, succinct statement of what God's providence is in terms of a Christian, in terms of a believer. If he's for us, who can be against us? You know, he has it in control. You know, it's 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 like your big brother, you know, like he says, you know, Things are, I got this, don't worry. You know, I have this. He has it for you. No matter what happens to you, there's always a God who says, don't worry, Peter, I've got this. Don't worry. Uh, and that I think, you know, takes the anxiety and it takes fear and takes the, uh, your own feelings of lack of control of the situation away. And it makes you comfort, uh, joy, and, can- and sitting and living in that understanding is, makes you content.
0: Yes, I, I think that uh, we, should, we should have that Christian contentment knowing that our God is sovereign over all things, uh, regardless of what we might be going through. But good. All right, good comments. Thank you all for uh, considering those questions, and I'm going to turn the class over to John, who's going to run for the next couple of weeks.
8: Can I say one more thing, uh, Pastor Bob, before you uh, start Sure, talking? yes. Um, uh, there's also examples for me in the Bible of um, even God loving us when he is punishing us. Um, like uh, in Exodus, all throughout Exodus, he had one plan for taking them out of slavery. And then, you know, they they kept moaning and then he gave them the, the manna and then the quail and then he made him walk around for 40 years. So he, he kept on like changing what he wanted for his children based on what they were doing, you know, so he wanted them to be free. He wants us to be free, but he also, you know, when we do stupid things, you know, then he's also changing his plan accordingly, trying to, uh, get us to be free on our own free will without, uh, you know, needing kings. That was another book, you know, that he told them, what do you guys need kings for? And, he gave them kings. He gave them what they wanted. So I see a lot of examples of that in the Bible.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, um, uh, that God doesn't necessarily change his plans. All right? Um, because then that, that would mean he didn't think of something. All right? Um, but we, we are actually working out his plan, even in our free will, that goes against what we think is his will, uh, which – it gets very mysterious at times, all right? But, you know, God's God's plans are set, and what, what he wants to accomplish will happen, and, uh, and we will be part of that plan, um, and our, we will do it by exercising our free will in conformity that, to that plan,
8: right. even
0: though we may not know it.
8: <clears throat> right. He gives us the opportunity. We blow the opportunity. He knew before we were going to blow the opportunity, but he does give us every opportunity to go ahead and make the right decision and, uh you know, and be free. Well, he ourselves. certainly
0: lays out his revealed will for us as to what to do. And, and more often than not, we don't do it. You know, an old... Yep. Can't hear you, Pete. Pete, what'd you say? Pastor Bob. Wait a minute. Wait. Oh, sorry. Yep. Peter, we can't
6: hear you.
8: Oh, well, I think you're on mute
6: anything you want on that cruise ship, but nothing you're going to do is ever going to change the destination of that ship. So in a a real sense, God's purposes are like that. Yes, we have within this stream of his, or the ship, of his purpose, we have this freedom to sort of bounce around it, but it's always going to get to where he wants it to go.
0: Wow, that's a good illustration, Pete.
9: All right. Well, Peter, since you were the last one to speak, can you please open us up with a word of prayer as we begin our lesson?
6: Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the uh, thinking and understanding that uh, you have given to us, Lord. In James, you have uh, said that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask for it, and it will be given to to him. Lord, we just today and this evening and this time ask for wisdom as we look into your word. Help John as he leads us, anoint him with his spirit, with your spirit, that, uh, he may open the word to us in a real way. Touch each one of our hearts and minds that we may understand a little better your glory and your magnificence. In Jesus name, amen. Amen.
9: Okay, thank you very much guys. I wanted to share, Helen had asked me to, uh, to go deeper. Uh, and I had said that I would. I'm glad that we're going to do it uh, in these Job 38 to 42. And uh, knowing this class, I don't know how long it will take, but I'm sure I'll get cut off along the way. Um, but when I look at Job 38 especially, uh, I see providence of God and sovereignty, sovereignty of God all over the place. I think that's probably why Pastor gave us these questions to, to get our is flowing a little bit what I like about job 38 what I like about when God speaks to uh, to job is that God speaks directly to job there is no prophet there is no teacher uh, there is no christophany or theophany God speaks directly to job and when I look at the Bible and and God speaks directly i I really take it seriously and I I, uh, I pay attention because I believe that God defines God. And when God speaks about who He is, He's defining Himself. And it's a lesson for us to know and to, to have. The truth of our world, uh, the truth of our faith, the truth of our God is clearly defined by God, especially when He speaks. On a side note, it's why I like the book of Isaiah. There's a lot of eyes. In Isaiah, If you literally look at Isaiah, you see a bunch of eyes. That's God speaking directly. Uh, So when I look at this, I want us to look at this and see that God is speaking and what is God saying. So let's just jump right in if we could. I'm going to read Job 38, start with verses 1 to 3. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but you can read from whatever version uh you you want, and we'll go from there. All right? Starting at verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job, out of the whirlwind, and said, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, I will question you, and you will answer me. Those are the first three verses. So we see that that the the God is going to speak to Job. Now, how does He answer Job? The Lord answers Job. It says, "Out of a whirlwind," uh, or as the NIV thinks, as it translates, "Out of a storm." So it's a whirlwind or a storm. When you think of a whirlwind, what what kind of storm do you think of? That's a question to be answered. And if you if you think of a whirlwind, what kind of storm do you think of? A tornado? Very good. Oh, yeah. she gets a gold star already. She's yeah. on target. She's on target. A, to- uh, a tornado, uh, maybe a hurricane, but anybody experience a tornado in their life? I mean, a real tornado, maybe not one that hits Long Island every now and then, but a tornado? Yeah, I have. I lived in Texas and uh, tornadoes are very, they're very powerful and they're very, uh, focused in their power, uh, and they can be uh, very destructive. It's an intense storm. So why do you think that, that God represents himself this way to Job when he speaks? Anybody have an answer?
5: I would say
6: to show his power. I mean, he is, he is all-powerful, omnipotent, and uh, to show
9: that power, he spoke out of something powerful. I would think. To show him his sovereignty. Exact exactly. To show his power. To let him know that that uh that God is, is speaking and you're gonna you're gonna pay attention. And he basically says to Job, he goes, Who is this? Who are you, Job? That you that you would you with all your knowledge and all your righteousness and all your wisdom, you think you know it, you think you have the answers. The truth of it is Job is you don't know anything. And I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an answer, and you're gonna pay attention, uh, and I want you to pay attention. So I want you to be humbled when I'm speaking. So I'm gonna present myself in a whirlwind. Now I learned this in the in, in my first semester in seminary. I learned this very valuable lesson. I had went to seminary, and I had been a Christian probably about 15 years at that point, and I thought I was the smartest Christian in the world, a super Christian however you wanted to find it. I thought I knew the Bible inside and out. And the first lesson I learned that first semester in seminary is I don't know anything. I didn't know anything, and I still lack so much knowledge when it comes to God. So when I think of what Job is doing, what God is saying to Job here, he's saying, God is going to speak. Job, you've been questioning me. I'm going to answer you. So now I want you to Brace yourself, prepare yourself, and get ready to hear from me. Put your big boy pants on, Job, because I'm gonna talk to you now. It's gonna get it's gonna go down. Um, now for our study for the next couple of weeks or definitely the next couple of chapters, I want us to look at these chapters not from the point of what's happened to Job and all that we talked about Job in the last few months uh with Pastor Bob in the study. What I want you to see is I want us to pay attention to the lesson that God is giving not only to Job, but what he's giving to us, what he's revealing us about himself and about the work that he does. One of the definitions of providence is providence is God's work, God's care for his creation and how he works through it. And his sovereignty is his rule. And both of these are expressed in these In these chapters. So in the very beginning we see this. Now we go to. uh, Verses 4 to 7. Okay. Look at verses 4 to 7. Where were you. When I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it. So what were its foundations fastened or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of god shouted for joy so in this very first section here god is revealing the beginning of creation the creation of the world right he's laying out he's he's laying this out we know this and i don't have the exact scripture maybe somebody can help me that creation is the first testimony of god Whether somebody hears about the gospel, has all the doctrines down, or has a Bible to read, if they have absolutely nothing, they have creation. That creation speaks to the Creator and speaks to God. It's the first testimony of God. So that all men are without excuse before God. No one can say to God, I didn't know that you were even there. Because all you have to do is look at creation and you see that God was there. So God laid out the foundations of the earth. The Lord had a plan for his creation. He laid it out and he planned ahead. God planned ahead. He measured the earth. Notice this. He measured the earth. He lined it out. He gave the earth its size. And in verse 18, he says to Job, "Have you? Can you even comprehend the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know this. And then it also says that he fastened the earth into place. When you do a project, some of you guys are more handy than I am. I'm not very handy. When you do a project, you have to fasten the wood in place. or fasten. When you fasten something in place, what are you doing? You're preventing it from falling or moving or being destructive in a way. In a lot of ways, think of this. The earth does not wander through space, right? I'm not much of a scientist. But the earth does not wander through space. It's held in a place. And God is God is telling Job, I have fastened the earth into place so that we know that it doesn't wander around. Now, verse 7 is a very great verse. Pay attention to this. Verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who do you think they are talking about there? Anybody have an answer? Who were they talking about there?
8: The angels say. Very
9: good, Phil. Very good, folks. Good job. It it NIV. <laughs> What's that? It says
8: it in the NIV.
9: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good check. Good check. I like it, though. I like it. This is a great verse for me. I, I love this verse. God is telling Job that in the very beginning of creation that the angels were worshiping him. The angels were gathering together the morning stars and what did they do? They shouted for joy. They worshiped God at the creation. That, there's a movie called City of Angels. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen this movie. It's called City of Angels. It had Nicolas Cage and, uh, Dennis Franz and it was about angels that, that walked upon the earth and it had, uh, Meg Ryan in it, I think. And there's a great scene in this movie where In the in the dawn of the day, all the angels would gather from the corners of the earth on the beach. And then when the sun rose, they would all sing and worship God for the new day. And when I read this verse, it's what I think of, that the angels are worshiping God at the creation. And I believe they are worshiping God continually. So if the angels can worship God through creation, what does that say for you and for me? The same thing for you. That we should be worshiping God all the time. Yeah, very good, outstanding, outstanding. We should be worshiping God all the time. That even our outdoors are a creation to be worshipped because God has made it from the very beginning. Um, so, if the angels can worship God in creation, this is what we should be doing as well. Uh, so now, verses eight through eleven. So the first one was, the first thing we saw... John,
2: can I interrupt a second? Please do. Go ahead, Sal. Yeah, so, I I mean, these first verses are almost a bit sarcastic by God. It's almost like he's pulling rank here. Like, okay, Job, sit down. Like, I'm God Almighty. Sit down. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to answer me. Now, God knows that Job can't answer these questions. There is no answer. And this just adds to Job's... Job's humiliation—no, not humiliation—but it's almost like I can see my son being dressed down by me, and just sitting there going, "This—he's so right. Like I am so wrong. I don't even have an answer for this." And and God tells him to brace himself, and you're going to answer me. So the questions are, "Where were you when when I laid the earth's foundation?" What was Job supposed to say? Oh, I was right there. I helped you out. You know, I I, I moved it along for you. He's sitting there. Like, oh my gosh, I am Jesus getting, medicine. he's getting, right. He's getting dressed down by God, but God does it in such a wonderful way that he both exhibits his power and his compassion, even while disciplining and teaching Job a lesson and teaching us a lesson.
9: Yeah. And it's, it's oh, I, I, I,
2: sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Well, no, continue, continue, continue your thought. And what, how do you answer on what, were the like, how, where were you when I laid this? Like, there is no answer. God's asking a question and asking Job to answer a question that he can't answer. And I think part of it is, you know, I'm looking at it from a human standpoint. Like, if I were Job, I'd be sitting there humiliated. Like, God has to reprimand me. God Almighty. Like, it's worse that my father does it. But I was so, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to feel the human emotion in this for Job and for God. Like, God's almost being a little sarcastic here. And I don't, I don't mean to say it that way, like offensively. And I also say, like, God never really pulls rank. You, you know, Jesus said, "I can call twelve legions of angels down," like. But God is like, okay, Job. Now I'm going to sit you down and tell you like the facts of life, kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. That's just my interpretation. Uh, t- uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you're not. You're not wrong about it,
9: Sal. But there's, but in the dressing down, I don't know if it's sarcastic. I think it's, it's, um, it's uh, rhetorical. Now yes, he doesn't, he doesn't come to Job, that's why I said in the beginning, he comes as a point of power, a point of might. Uh, he doesn't come like the, the angel visited Abraham and gave him a lesson, or, you know, he saw a burning bush, or, you know, uh, he talked in a soft whisper of the Holy Spirit. He does come with him in power, but in the, in the questioning though, for us, I believe God defines who he is and what he does. Yes, Job. You don't. You can't, and neither can we. We can look at these answers, and we can, in hindsight, because we have faith, we can say we don't have the answers to these questions. But maybe yeah, I think
2: rhetorical is a better rhetorical's is a better yeah, description. Right. There maybe,
9: but there exactly. may be exactly. just
6: saying, right. you know, "Who exactly do you think you are?" You know. Uh, you know. Yeah. It's that kind of rhetorical question, uh, and I agree with you. You know, it is. Uh, you know, it is putting. It's not. It's not putting him down in a sense that he puts him, you know, below where he. is. He's putting him in his place in his proper. In his
2: place, place. right? Yeah.
6: Proper place, uh, and the other the question about the whirlwind. You know, the whirlwind I think represents uncontrollable power.
4: Mm.
6: You know, there is God. You know, He's uncontrollable, just like the whirlwind mm. is uncontrollable, and He just says mm. to Joe, "Who do you think you are? Wait a minute. You know, mm. hang on. Let's get a reality check here. Let's see where we are." who are you? Who am I? Let's, let's get the, let's get this set. And then we can
9: talk. But in these passages, don't you, can you see, can you see ourselves asking these very same questions and thinking that we have the answers to it as, as mankind or as, as a people, could we have the answers to say the measurements of the earth? And have we all figured it out? Has man figured it all out? And, and and God is saying, you weren't there. You haven't figured it out. And I, I, that's what I see. I see a lot of lessons for us to learn about God.
6: Well, yeah, it's also the answer to our perennial question, why? Why, why, why? And God basically says, because, just because, like parents. Because, say, me. because, you know, I said so, you know, that kind of, of statement. It, it is really, you know, I, I see, uh, as a parent, I see myself in this, you know, where, you know, why, 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 what? Well, because it is. I'm the father, you're the kid, da, 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 da. You know, I can just see God, and it's almost a, a parenting image. You know, for us who aren't parents, we've done the same thing to our kids. You know, who do you think you are? You know, I'm the father, you're the kid, this is the way it is, period. You know, kind of thing. You know, so I can see ourselves in this very
9: much. Right. Okay. John, I, would, yes, I was, was
7: going to say that, you know, we don't hear from Job at all, you know, when uh, God is talking to him for a long, pretty long time. But I'm just wondering, like, how he felt about God coming to him to talk to him. And um, he, he, I mean, this means that God, you know, still <laughs> has a relationship with him. And after all that's happened and after all he's heard. God is there for him. So I'm thinking, since he's not talking, I don't know how he's really thinking about these questions. He might just be in awe that God is there and that he's just delighted that he's there talking to him. So I don't know he's going to get himself to the point of even being humiliated. I, I think, I, I think he, if God came to us, I don't think it matters what he's going to ask us. We're just going to be so grateful that he, he's there and he's talking directly to him. So that's 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 just very special that God's yeah. taking the time to talk directly to him.
9: I do think in retrospect of the whole book that that Job comes to a place of repentance and as Sal said before, humiliation in a sense that he recognizes that God is talking to him and he has no answer. And he has no and he had no business to even question God in the first place, really. Um so the there is an answer there and uh, it's going to be in chapter forty, uh, verses three and four, three to three to five. But we'll get there probably in about three months. So give it time. All right. <laughs> uh,
8: exactly.
9: All right. Yes, keep going. Who's that?
8: And um, one thing that strikes out to me is in my world um, filled with uh, new age Christians in my family and in my friends. This is a side of God. That they all have a problem with. Uh If you talk about the second coming of Jesus, and no, no, God, he said, they say, my God in the Bible is sugar and spice and everything nice. You know, there's no judgment, and there's no none of this type of talk to his creation type of thing. That's just an observation that it, I'm surrounded by that in well, my one of
9: those. One of those observations, Phil, is that what God shows when God speaks through His Word. He shows that he's in control, that he's sovereign. And as as mankind, especially those who don't have any faith in God or Christ at all, they, they want to be in control. They want to say they figured it all out. You know, just like, uh, I'm not going to get too political, but there's one scientist who says, don't worry, science will save us when it comes to this coronavirus. You know, that's the idea. We give it time, science will save us. Not God will save us. Not God is in control, but science will save us. Um, so that's the that's where they're coming from in this. That's where they're coming from in this.
2: Exactly. So let me also add that you uh, the the book that you were referring to is Romans chapter one, where God refers back to the creation as like you've been revealed that my majesty and my greatness, even though no one's ever said a word to you, just look around. So you really you really can't plead yeah. innocence or or because you've seen the creation. That was Romans chapter one. Just yeah, like absolutely. And
9: Phil,
0: the, uh, Phil the, uh, your friends, uh, that's what idolatry is all about. All right? They are creating God in their image. That God, the God they want, is the God that operates under my sovereignty.
8: Yeah, Our that's body. what I say to them.
0: It's the exact opposite. And all that is, is idolatry.
8: That's right.
0: That's it's right. making another golden calf.
1: John, I think that what um, is happening with Job, the only way I can look at this is that if he had never gone through such devastation, he would never have had such an intimate relationship with God where he was face to face. I think God is saying, the answer to your why is me,
0: you know, that's exactly right.
1: um, I will show you great mighty things, you know, not of, and some of us have to get there through a lot of pain. That's true. And yeah. so I, that's just my
9: That's true, Helen. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Now the next, the next few verses I think that we can really relate to because we're Long Islanders. And you know what? We live on an island. Did you know that? And we're surrounded by an ocean, but we live on an island. So let's see what the Lord has to say about seas and oceans. Verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. Or who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb, when I made the cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, "This far you may come, but no further," and here your proud waves must stop. Wow! I put that last one on on my refrigerator right there. That led verse eleven. You see. They call it seas, but we would say it's oceans. They didn't, they didn't call it oceans in, 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 in the biblical times. They call it mighty seas with, with, with gigantic waves going back and forth. So the Lord has set the oceans, and he put them. They're in place, right? The oceans are in place, and they stay in place by the providence and the hand of God. They stay in place by the providence and the hand of God. That in verse 10, that he fixed the limits of where that water would go. He set the bars. He set the doors. Okay? In verse 11 especially, when I walk on the beach, this is the verse that I think of. Now I haven't walked on the beach in a while. I'm getting a little older. But when I was younger and I walked on the beach a lot, this is the verse that I thought of. Think of this when you're on the ocean and you're, you're right by, you see that big gigantic wave coming and all of a sudden, it only goes a certain distance and then pulls back. When I say this far you may come, but no further. And here your proud waves must stop. Now, let me say this. Yes, there's gravity. Yes, there's the moon. Yes, there's the landmass. There's order and there's rules that are in place that prevent that ocean, that mighty barreling ocean of water from, from coming and just sweeping across and destroying everything. Yes, it does happen through a hurricane or through a volcano erupting or, or an earthquake or a mighty storm that God allows to happen. But as a whole, as a norm, though, those waves, those waters, they stop and they pull back. And that's God at work. That's God's sovereignty and God's providence over his creation at work. and And even... If you look further on verse 16, he asked Job specifically, have you gone to the bottom of the ocean and have you walked the entire distance of the ocean? Now Job didn't do it, but God has. God knows every inch of his creation, even the mighty ocean that we don't know. God knows. God created it. God has sovereignty over it. God has providence over it. Now in that element of power, and creation that God has, and detail that God has. How does that, what comfort or encouragement does this give to you concerning God? Maybe you haven't thought of it, maybe you have. But what encouragement or what comfort does this give you concerning God? I, I think of um, when Jesus said
8: to the disciples, uh, why worry about food and everything like that? Look at the louis of the field, you know. And, uh, why worry about, you You know, know, things that are out of your control?
9: Go ahead. No, don't do that one. one, Anyone else? It's just a mighty picture of creation. I, I thought when I look at the waters, I look at the ocean, you know, I wish Jeff was with us. You ever go riding on a boat with Jeff? Well, at first we're praying hard when we're going out with a boat with Jeff. <laughs> but, but, but you know, you're out in this mighty water, and you never feel so small. I never feel so small that when I'm in the ocean, that I'm surrounded by that ocean. It's just unbelievable. And yet God is is there all the time. The power of the ocean, the beauty of the ocean, the control of the ocean is something that God shows as his providence. Uh, for us. Any other thoughts on this before I continue? All right. Very good. Okay, so the next thing God talks about is the morning. Look at verses 12 to 15. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and an, upra- an upraised arm is broken. So we look at the morning here, the command of the dawn to come. When the dawn comes every morning and the dawn comes, what does it mean for you? What does it mean? When the when the dawn comes. When you wake up and you see the dawn, what is it what does it mean to you? I think a, a new a fresh opportunity. A fresh opportunity, okay. A new start. Anyone else? I guess we haven't really thought about it, have we? <laughs> okay i think
3: when you when you see
7: but, a sunrise or yeah. sunset, I think you you just are in awe only God can do that i it's like it's, <laughs> such evidence of his uh of his sovereignty of his power of his, you know i mean it's just so clear that he's the he's the one who raised the sun and had it set had it rise That's, yeah
9: all right. But a new day has come. What does it mean
4: A new beginning
9: a new beginning okay
4: a new beginning a new uh a day of maybe uh starting over or getting past or trying to get past what happened yesterday mm-hmm. um another chance to mm-hmm. to do to do better to i don't know just just to move on you know to hope for better Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you I sit at my window and I watch the ocean and I watch the sunrise lately more often than ever but um, when I do see that sunrise I just feel like okay things are going to get better so when you ask the question that I, I truly want to believe that, um, yesterday is gone and we just have to work on today.
9: Okay. All right. Okay. So what I would, say, what I would share with you, anybody else want to share an answer before I, I share something? Well, I think it gives us hope. There you go. Good, All good. Yep. Gives you hope. And the re- for me, the reason it gives hope here, the command of the dawn means that life continues. That when you wake up in the morning and that there's a new day, there's another day, that means life continues. And within that life, just as all of you have said, there may have been a lot of hardship and struggle and pain, the night before, the day before, but there's always a new day, uh, and God has given us a new day. And, uh, and then it, it talks about the wicked here in these verses. Even though the wicked may flourish, there is always a new day. There's always grace and hope for us. Now Psalm 30 verse 5, one of my, one of my wife's favorites and actually part of a Mercy Me song, but a great verse in verse 30 Psalm 30 verse 5 For his anger is but for a moment his favor is for life weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning joy comes in the morning when we wake up no matter what we're enduring we're given another day of life again the, the sovereignty and the providence the caring of God for us okay. Um let me go back to the passage that we were looking at. Uh we have about five we have about now yeah, we have about ten more minutes, okay? Uh and then we'll continue on next week. So verse five uh no I'm sorry. Verse uh seventeen God talks about something else here in verse seventeen of chapter thirty eight in Job. He says, Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? What is Job's, what is God saying to Job that he does not know about that God does? What does Job not know about that God does?
5: That he judges?
9: a little bit. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Okay.
2: Happens so, when you die?
9: Was that he knows what happens when, you, when die. you die. He knows he knows what happens when you die. Job, do you know? Do you know what happens when you die? Or Sal, do you do you know what happens when you die? Yes, we know we go to heaven, but do we know we, we really know what happens when we die? You know? And for Job, Job he doesn't know. As humans, we know what God tells us and God speaks to it. But God knows when death will come. And God has numbered our days. Each one of our days are numbered by God. Um, And God knows about this. That's why He says, Have the gates of death been revealed to you? And have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Do you have knowledge of death? The one who has knowledge of death has to be sovereign to know that. Has Has to be sovereign. Okay. Uh, now he talks about in the next. Anything else you want to say about that? I know it's a, we don't really talk about death too much, but what does that does it speak to you in any way about these dead verse, verse 17? All right. Let me move on to darkness and light, verse 19 to 24. 19 to 24. Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and darkness where it's where it's in its place that you should make its territory, that you know the paths of its home. Do you know it because you were born then, or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow, or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? But what way is light diffused, and the east wind scattered over the earth? Job, do you know about darkness and light? We, we know a lot more now about darkness and light, but do we know really what, what God is speaking to here when he talks about darkness and light? Do you know where darkness has its place? In God's order, everything has a place and a purpose. Light and darkness both have a place and a purpose in God's order. And then I like the one about the, the snow. Now, I come from upstate New York for the most part, although I've lived here many, many years. Um, but when I when I saw a verse about snow, it always perplexed me because I don't you don't see too many verses about snow uh in the Bible, right? Uh and about snow and about hail. Uh God defines it as God defines it as a treasury. Let's see where he says it. Which uh He goes, have you entered the treasury of snow, or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I reserve for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? Well, I'll give you a new, well, I always think that that snow is a problem. (laughs) I know it has a lot of good purposes, um, but God has a storehouse for the snow and the, the hail to come. And he says he reserves it in time of trial, trouble, and war. Have you ever thought of snow or hail in the process of an effect on a war? You know, in in history, in World War II, that uh, the Nazis trying to take over Russia, they were unable to do so because of the snow that was there, the winter, the Russian winter that was there. Now, I I know that snow and hail have a lot of purposes, but when God speaks about it, he speaks about it, about using it in time of trouble, trial, and war. Um, So, listen, this is what, when I look at this, I see God is speaking to, to Job, but he's also talking to us. And we should look at sometimes creation by how God made it and how he made it to be. And it's mighty. To me, it's a mighty comfort. To know that God is in such control of nature the way He is. Any, any, uh, I'm gonna close it here, but any final questions or thoughts or comments up to this point?
2: It's not only the creation of the world, but it's the maintenance of the world, like you said. I mean, He maintains everything too, just enough sunlight, just enough rain, just enough. And that's, cause if you let that go, the whole creation just falls apart. So God's, God's creation needs to be maintained, and that's phenomenal, yeah. a, a part of God's power.
9: I did want to say one last thing that I should have said in the beginning. God has given us science. He has given us science, and to, to show us his, the might of His sovereignty and His provision. Everything that we speak of here, especially the oceans, we know of gravity and that particular thing, we know there are rules and laws of science. But God is the one that has set that in place and makes that to be. I believe that, that science and God can and should coexist. Uh, one coming from God, that science came from God for us to know. Steve, any thought on that? My scientist friend? I can't hear. Unmute. 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 Got un- Pete, can you unmute him? All right, very good.
5: You're muted, Steve. There you go. Oh, there you go. Steve, I, any thought on that? I tell scientists, how can you use science to define the person who invented it in the first place? And all well, these people have these very big views of the universe. And I tell you what I did to one guy who said, you knows God can't be here. This this world came somewhere else. I I told him, I said, just, I literally did this in a store. I said, do you have a ballpoint pen on you? He said, yes. I says, do you know why the ink doesn't go dry? He says, yeah, no, I don't know. He says, what is the ball made of? How does it get ink out of the ball onto the paper? Do you know how that works? He says, no. I says, you're telling us, you don't know how your ballpoint pen in your pocket works. You're telling me you know how the answer to the whole universe. I don't think everyone shut up after that. <laughs> <laughs>
9: I think that we are blessed by these by these verses as Christians. Um, I think we 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 need to look at what God says and and take it seriously because He's revealing much to us about His sovereignty and about His providence. And if we can view nature and see God in control, it can give us comfort and strength to know that God is in control of our lives. How 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 minuscule we are compared. To the ocean, or compared to the stars, or compared to darkness and light, or the morning, or the angels worshiping God, it's just when you think about the majesty of God in this, it just it just brings to me a great deal of comfort. Uh, what and to
1: me, John. Is that um, the you know back then they had this broad idea you know that God can control the ocean but they didn't understand all the cells, the tiniest little microbes and everything else that we see today. And with all that knowledge that God has given us the ability to know and to, to discover these things, we still think that um, we're greater than he could possibly be or that he doesn't exist.
7: That's absolutely right.
1: It's mind boggling. That's
7: absolutely right.
1: Especially when I study science with my grandchildren and see, the things that I forgot all about (laughs) and things I, they know today that I didn't know back in
9: 1950. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God doesn't even address the human body in these, in these chapters, a man, oh man, there ain't no, no more complex creation than, than us, you know, praise God for that. You're right, Helen. And yet we can still, people still say they don't want to believe in a creator. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, guys, uh, let's close in prayer, if we could. Uh, Pastor, can you close in prayer? Does he hear me over there? Yep, sure. Thank you.
0: Heavenly Father, as we read your word, again, we are humbled when we begin to reflect upon your power as the great creator. And as Job said earlier, as we ponder these things, we recognize that these are but the fringes of your power. And, Lord, uh, how humbling is that. We thank you, Lord, that we are in your hands. We rest there, Lord, confident and calm. And, Lord, we give you the thanks for your great love and consideration for us. Thank you for this time and your word. We look forward to next week as well. Bless us as we retire now. Give us a good night's sleep. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.